they were told that there was a, a boat waiting for you in France. They had to get there. They said they liberated the jeep, got to France, got on the boat. All the soldiers having a great time came into New York, passed the Statue of Liberty, the boat docked, mine goes up, and there's a soldier waiting at the body. And as they came down, white soldiers to the right, the N-word to the left. Hello, Pod County listeners. It has been too long since we've recorded an episode, but we are here today with the cast of Black Angels over Tuskegee. It is a play about the Tuskegee Airmen, which is playing right now at the Delaware Theater Company through October 30th, so you still have time if you have not gone out to see it yet. It's a fantastic play, and we'll be sitting talking with Thaddeus Daniels, David Roberts, and writer, director, producer, actor in the show, man of many talents, Leon Gray. We also got County Executive Matt Meyer on the episode, and of course, your host, Kyle Grantham, here to bring you this latest edition of Pod County. So sit back, have a listen. If you are curious about World War II history, if you, if you want to see a great play that has its roots in history, in, in true stories of real men who were heroes, this is definitely a great listen, and it's, and it's a great show to go check out. So sit back and enjoy the latest edition of Pod County. Another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham, and today we're joined by Matt Meyer and three of the cast members of Black Angels Over Tuskegee. Black Angels Over Tuskegee. We got we have Leon, we have Thaddeus. That's right, Thaddeus Daniels. David uh, David is on his way back in. He had to step out for a very important call, but he will he will be back, <laughs> back in shortly. But this play chronicles the story of the Tuskegee Airmen which I would hope most people have learned about, but if you haven't, we're talking about the first predominantly black air squadron unit. How would you describe the airmen as a whole? A squadron. A squadron, yes. yeah. yeah, in World War II, yeah. uh, which is fascinating part of our history. I think there was a big push at the time when the Washington commanders were coming up with a new name to give uh, <laughs> a uh, hat that tip to right. the airmen, yeah. and it didn't happen because... The commies sounded like such a better nickname for a team. <laughs> <laughs> Just further indication. If, I, if you see how they're doing this year, it might be a good thing. Yeah, ownership. Further indication of how poorly that yeah. franchise is running. And the ownership. Yeah. Right. Uh, but we're not here to talk about bad football teams. We're here to talk about great acting. Yeah, and that is the transition we're going to give into this. Matt, do you want to? Take us away. Yeah, so t- I mean, y- there may be people listening who know very little to nothing about the story of the Tuskegee Airmen, who know very little about Black Angels, about your play. Tell us uh, about Tuskegee Airmen. Tell us about, sell us on, I want to go see the play. Tell others why mm-hmm. they should go see it. Well, Black Angels over Tuskegee is the story of the Tuskegee Airmen. They were the first black aviators of World War II. They protected the bombers. They got their name Red Tails because they painted their tails red to really stand out. They became quickly requested by all the the white bomber units because they said we wanted those guys to go and protect us because they would never break apart to receive separate glory. They always stuck together and protected them. So they became requested. They won all these medals and awards during the uh, the war but they would never they never received it so i had an opportunity 
to sit and chat with an original Tuskegee Airman when I was getting ready to write the show. And of course, I wanted to talk about all the awards and the medals and the honors that they received, but he didn't want to talk about that. He, um, he wanted to talk about his friends, his brothers that he called them that had died and passed away. And I knew that's the angle that I wanted to go and tell in my story of these incredible American heroes. And Leon, you're you're the writer, producer, director too. Yeah, I wrote it, I directed it, I, I produced it, and I also have a little small role in it as well. <laughs> it's, it's not a, too small. It's a lot of hats. <laughs> it, you know, it is, but it didn't start out that way. You know, when I wrote the show in 2007, uh, I just wanted to sit back and 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 watch it develop. But one of the actors stepped away. He booked a film and. Um, I said, okay, well, I'll step in and play the role until you get back. And I just love the role so much. <laughs> so when he came back, he said, okay, Leon, I want my role back. I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> I think I'm going I'm to hold on to it for a while. <laughs> uh, and, and Thaddeus, you're narrating. Yes, yes. I narrate the show. So um, the name, my character, is just Young Man, and it's, it's ambiguous for a reason. So uh, there's a through line and a connection to the show that um, – that I think most people enjoy. So I'm, I'm going to leave that teaser out there so that, you know, when the fans come by and see it, they were like, ah, that's what it was. But uh, <laughs> it's worth it's worth the trip, I, I guarantee you. So Thaddeus, tell me this. So young man is yeah. the name of your character. <laughs> so if someone's, someone's a young man in, in America, young black man in America 100 years ago, mm. there are no black squadron units, right? Mm. They're all white squadron units. How does it even come about, the Tuskegee Airmen? How, how, how does anyone even have a vision or, or act on something to make the, the, the Tuskegee Airmen? Yeah, that's what makes it so great, right? Because this is, we're talking before Dr. King. We're talking before civil rights movements, Mega Evers and all of the people that kind of paved the way to, you know, to say, okay, we can do this as well. We had young, intelligent men at universities who were learning to fly. Um, you had people like Bessie Coleman, who was already an aviator, had to go to France to get her license and come back. So we were starting to hear about aviation within the community. And these young men uh, had this dream. And people within the community pushed the uh, the government to, to create something. And Tuskegee University was chosen in 1941, I believe. And, uh, and it gave all of these people with dreams a place to go. And uh, what, 992? train pilots later, you know, yeah. um, you know, we have this history here. It's a story that I think we've seen recently in film. Red Tails. Red Tails, yeah. Good, it was Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah. But really, yeah. that's kind of it. You know, again, I remember briefly discussing it in high school, which is probably more a failure of our education system to educate us on right. black history than anything. Right. But, you know, to have this uh, on the stage how, you know, in film, you can do a lot of stuff with big special effects, especially if you're talking about, you know, real-life fighter pilots. Mm. How, do you, how do you bring that level of storytelling to the stage? And I guess, do you have more opportunity to get into the characters? Do you have more opportunity to get into the, the humanity of it and rather just the action? So talk a little bit about how you write this for the stage. You know, it's interesting because when we, we, we were doing the show in Los Angeles, they were working on the movie, The Red Tails. So the producers, they actually came to see the play several times. So I was thinking, okay, well, maybe they're going to hire me as a writer. Maybe they're going to bring in some actors uh, from the show to, to see it. But that didn't happen. They tabled the film. 
the play continued to grow. And then later on, they did the film. They invited us to the premiere in New York and everything. But with film, f- you know, film is a medium about show me, show me, show me. So you, you see all these actions where you don't get too much details about the characters and their personalities and what they went through. On stage, that's where you get all of the backstory of these men and their true, why they would give up to go and fight for a country. Because remember, it's 19, it's in the 40s, to whereas, you know, African Americans were considered less back then. You know, so why would you give up your freedom to go and fight for a country at a time who really didn't care about you? So I knew I wanted to tell all of that in the story. And you can't do that in film. So, uh, you can't break down a three, four-minute monologue with an actor, whereas in film, you know, you, you, you just can't do that. You have to show that action. So that's the major difference. And we don't use a lot of glitz and glamour in this play. You know, I always tell people it's about the stage, the actors, and the story. So when all you listeners come to see the play, you'll see it's very not minimalist. You won't see a lot of props or anything. So... When the, when the guys stretch their arms open as wings, you actually believe that they are in an airplane. And that's the beauty of theater, man. You come and you just you just let everything go, leave it outside, and you bring your imagination to the show. I think you made a great point. If a single actor had a five-minute monologue in a movie, <laughs> it, it, would be, it would be talked about as an, a crazy decision on the director and the writer's part, right? But that is... Something that is incredibly powerful on right. the stage, exactly. right? Exactly, with lighting and all that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. that's what sets it apart. You become invest, so invested in the show, like you said, by, by the time you get to follow them on that journey, by the time you get to the time where fighting happens, you're there. Like, you believe whatever they tell you, you know what I mean? And it's because of the realism of the, the truth of what they're saying and, and the performance. So... Um, yeah, and you you guys will see because I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you, Kyle. I'm forward to seeing you, Matt, and you'll understand exactly what we're talking about. So I've always found fascinating. When I was a kid, I saw Jesse Jackson on TV. I saw oh. Jesse Jackson give a speech at the Democratic National Convention where wow. he talks about his father. Mm-hmm. I still remember it. He talks about his father coming home from, I think it was World War One, uh, m- maybe World War Two. And I believe he flew into New York, came home from the war, went to New York, and took the train down south. I think Jesse's family's from South Carolina. Yep. And in D.C., he had to get up from the train and move to the, to the black section of the train. And just the, the symbolism of having someone, his father, who fought for America and everything America stands for, who then comes home and is greeted by an America that treats him it, totally contradictory to all those things he thought he was yeah. fighting for. We just, um, I was saying, talking this, telling the story earlier, we met uh, in Detroit, we did this show, and we met a gentleman, Lieutenant Colonel Jefferson, and unfortunately we just lost him uh, to the ancestors. And um, But he came to the show and he invited us to his house afterwards. Un- unbeknownst to us, it was a joy. But he was telling us about his journey, and he was shot down uh, doing a scraping mission. And he was an airman. He was an airman. Yeah, yeah. He just he was a hundred years old, just passed away. Wow. And um, he was doing a scraping mission in France. Uh, got shot scraping? down. Scraping. Yeah, just you know, going low. Yeah. Okay. And um, you know, the bullets came through, and he tried to pull up, get high enough to eject. He said he wound up in a tree, but uh, he was he was very thankful. As soon as he landed in the tree, he said it was a German soldier 
there, you know, he said, but he was thankful because of the week before one of his colleagues was lynched when he was shot down. Mm. So mm. he wound up in a prison camp, which became East Germany rather, and uh, was there for a year until uh, General MacArthur came through and liberated the camp. And actually you could see him in the image of the day when MacArthur wow. liberated the camp. He said they were told that there was a, a boat waiting for you in France. They had to get there. He said they liberated the Jeep, drove drove across, um, got to France, got on the boat, all the soldiers having a great time, came into New York, passed the Statue of Liberty, the boat docked, plank goes up, and there's a soldier waiting at the bottom. And as they came down, white soldiers to the mm -hmm. right, the N-word to the left, you know, mm -hmm. and... Uh, and, you know, similar to your Jesse Jackson story, that was a reality. And he's like, I'm back home, you know. And mm. after all of that, he had gone through. Were they bitter? The no, airmen? No. No. no they, and, and that's the fascinating thing about the airmen. They, they weren't bitter, you know. They, they always say, this is my country, too. I want to go and fight for my country. So I found that fascinating when I interviewed the airmen at the time when I was writing the story. You know, like I say, he didn't talk about the bitterness and the wars. He just spoke about his friendship that he created, his his brothers. And, again, that's the angle that I wanted to just go and tell in that story. You know, it, 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 it's surprising that they weren't bitter because they said in, in France and Italy they were treated equal. You know, they were treated as, as human. And as soon as they got off the boat, like Thaddeus said, it was like, okay, you this way and you guys this way. They couldn't even apply to um, fly commercial uh, airlines, mm. you know, and they were more qualified than, than anyone else. So incredible men, incredible, very humble, humble men. I think, you know, to that point, too, of what they were willing to do for a country that, was, that, that didn't respect them, you know, 80 years before this was the Civil War. And, I mean, I would expect somewhere the research has been done, but you would think with that many men, Someone had a father, grandfather, great-grandfather oh, yeah. who fought oh, yeah. for this freedom, and now here you have a, a descendant willing to do the same thing. Oh, yeah. And that respect has never been carried in nearly 100 years. And then, you know, it was well over 100 years before the Civil Rights Movement was able to get any kind of justice. So it's, it's really a travesty that these men gave so much and, and got so little in return. Mm. That's true. And, you know, we, we, we talk about the airmen, but there were other African-Americans throughout the military branches as well. The Marines, the Montfort Marines, then you got the, the, uh, the Navy um, soldiers over there. You know, the Tuskegee Airmen get a lot of the glory because to learn how to fly a plane and be black was unheard of. It was like it's, everything is mathematical. They're, they're, they're once uh, articles said, the African-American brain was too small to learn how to fly. So they had to uh, put up with a lot just to be able to just get into these classrooms to prove, look, we're just as equal. We want to go and fight. You know, we're just as smart. And they ended up getting the highest test scores coming through. And it's funny because the new movie Top Gun just came out. And the first original Top Gun was a Tuskegee Airman. They found the trophy like in storage somewhere, and now it's starting to get all all the glory because they didn't want that known that you know uh, uh, a black guy had won the very first Top Gun. And if you watch the movie, I, I guess I can say this now because pretty, pretty everyone's pretty much right, probably seen right, it now. Right, right. They give homage to the Tuskegee Airman at the very ending of the film with Tom Cruise and his girl are sitting in a P-51 airplane, and if you pay attention, 
the tail is painted red. Mm. Mm. The red tails. I, I'm assuming yep. they couldn't say the Tuskegee Airman because of you know copyright stuff, so yeah. they just gave yeah. a homage to it. And I read that's his plane. That's, oh, really? That's Tom Cruise's actual yeah. plane. Oh, so he was he has a red tail on his yeah. own plane. No, he 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 bought one of the Tuskegee Airmen uh, P-51 oh, okay. planes. So that's it, part of his private collection. Wow. And they put it I into. Didn't know that. Yep. That's when, Tom Cruise. When you got Tom Cruise money, you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can absolutely, have, absolutely. You can true. have a plane <laughs> collection. Right? Yeah. Like I've got, I've got baseball cards. He's got airplanes <laughs> that were in World War II because he's on that level. So as I heard Cuba Gooding Jr. say one time when they were filming uh, Jerry Maguire, Tom said, "Oh, where do you live?" He said. Oh, you know, I got a, a home in a nice section of L.A. He said, where do you live? Rome. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing. I live in the whole thing. Yeah. So, Leon, tell, tell me, y- your background is in theater. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so w- w- you can write about a lot of things. You can act about a lot of things. Why did you choose this? You know, I love telling stories uh, from history, especially African-American stories that people don't know about. I've written several plays, like a lot of people didn't know, women played in the Negro Leagues. So I wrote a play about these black women who actually played with Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson and all these guys that people don't know about. It was a co-ed league. It, it wasn't a co-ed league, but these women were so special that they made the team. So I wrote a fictional story about an all-black uh, baseball team based off of those three people. Uh, What's it called? The Girls of Summer. I just translated into a uh, transition into a movie, so hopefully we'll go into production with that. Twenty-four. Okay. All right. But uh, people could look up Tony Stone. She was a um, a real baseball player. Connie Morgan, who they considered the female Josh Gibson. So I love. That's actually one of my favorite shows that I like to put up. And uh, I also wrote a show about uh, the very first black basketball team that won the. If there was an NBA championship. They won that. They were called the Harlem Wrens. They were before the Harlem Globetrotters, and they won the first championship in 1934, 39, I remember, uh, 1939, the very first world championship. So I wrote a play about that. That play went on and won all kind of awards. So I just love telling these stories that people don't know about, bringing them to the stage, and you know, hopefully we'll get an opportunity to bring more shows here to, to Delaware. You wrote the Black Angels, mm-hmm. and then where did it where did it premiere? Ooh, wow! <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the play. Two thousand seven. Two thousand and seven. Uh, being inspired watching the the Tuskegee Airmen receive the Congressional Medal of Honor from President Bush, and like I told my friend that I wanted to write a play about the Airmen. Then he told me about uh, the movie and everything, and he also had a best. Uh, I'm sorry, he had a Tuskegee Airmen who lived right next to him. And that's the gentleman who I interviewed and told me about all of the uh, the brotherhood and everything. So I knew I wanted to tell a story, so we put it up. In 2008, it became a huge hit. And we were doing it in like a little black box in, in Hollywood, and it was just selling in out. Ho- in L.A.? In, in L.A., in North Hollywood, yes. And people would say, well, you know what, Larry, you should try to get this to New York. And I was like, well... Theater in New York is super expensive, so we raised a little bit over thirty thousand to put it up for like two weeks in New York City, and we didn't have money for advertising, so we got out in the streets, uniforms, passing out flyers in Times Square, just hoping a few people would come, and it sold out every day. It just people was coming back. To be honest, I didn't know you could make that much money in theater. <laughs> I tell you, I'm like, what? 
what if I mess around in L.A. for a charge? I think there are a lot bucks. of people in theater who don't know you can make that much money. True. Wow. There's some actor friends, you know. <laughs> we went from selling tickets for $5 a person to $100 a person. Wow. You know, and um, it just took off in New York, and we had a beautiful off-Broadway run for 10, 11 years until COVID shut us down. Mm. And we t- we've toured all around the world, you know, Bermuda, St. Thomas, Everywhere you and said all around the world, and then named awesome Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wanna, just wanna make sure I noted that. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you, we've been, you know, we've been blessed. This place, I'm from a little town in Louisiana, you know, and I still get amazed at going into these cities and seeing these big, beautiful buildings and, and oceans and uh, seas. You know, I would have never ever thought that I would be able to see this, let alone get up close meeting NFL players. Like the NFL has commissioned us to do the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets twice, uh, and the LA Chargers to do the play as inspiration and motivation for, for the team. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's always kind of cool and amazing to see these <laughs> these guys are humongous, you know, and at the end of the play, they're in tears, crying. One guy, oh, you got me, Leon, man. I hate plays, but you got me. Got me wiped tears away. <laughs> if you That's guys amazing. are football fans, if you remember the year that the Jets beat uh, Tom Brady. I'm not sure I remember the year the Jets oh, beat anyone. Oh, come Jets. on now, come the on. Jets. But um, the year that they actually uh, went to the uh, NFC ch- AFC Championship, they beat uh, Tom Brady in the playoffs mm-hmm. up there, and that was the year they actually came to see Black Angels before oh, the awesome. season oh, wow. started. So you can take some credit for yeah. beating Tom Brady. Absolutely. And well, they didn't just beat Tom Brady. They, they beat That yeah. was Peyton Manning's last game as a Colt. Yeah, absolutely. I and was there. There's uh, a picture of them going around. They started doing this as they were going, and they uh, they took that from mm. the show. Mm. So uh, the, they, the next day after they saw the show, San Antonio Holmes was on the team at the time, a wide receiver. He scored a touchdown, and as he went through the end zone, he started doing that. And then everybody adopted it, and uh, Rex Ryan kind of held this as a mantra, like to earn your wings wow. to the players. And uh, and it took them, you know, into Foxborough, and did the impossible. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> when did you uh, When did you graduate from the New York Broadway Theater to Delaware Theater Company? When did you take this step up? How did How did that happen? Well, uh, you know what? I reached out to. Uh, I had a friend who had did a show here in Delaware. And he said, "Yo, you should reach out to to uh, Bud, who's artistic director here at, at Delaware, and you know, see if they would be interested." So I reached out to him, and he was like, "You know, this would be great for our audiences." So this was like a year or so ago, and they put us in the schedule because normally we tour, we never stop and do um, a show for two to three weeks. And he asked, well, "Would be interested?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course, why not?" So put us on the schedule and here we are in, in Delaware and it's I tell you what it's it's been amazing you know the audience have been coming out crying hugging us after the show uh, we're loving it here yeah we're excited uh, yes. it's excited to have you know big New York actors come down uh, <laughs> honestly and to educate and get deeper in something we we don't know as much about as we should it's it's wonderful because tomorrow like I've also whenever I write a show I'll if it's educational I always write uh, a student version. So there's a 40-minute version of the play that we're taking out to schools. We start tomorrow morning at Eastside Charter. Yeah, we're taking awesome. the, the uh, play to them, and then every Tuesday and Thursday after that, uh, students are being bused to the theater to see the show, and 
after the 40-minute version of the play, they get an opportunity to meet the actors, take pictures, ask questions and everything. So we truly, truly enjoy that, you know, because, you know, most people don't, like we say, it's not in history books. And it's it's black history, but it's, you know, it's American history, mm-hmm. you know. So everyone should know about it. So we truly get excited when we do these kid shows. I'm a little, uh, like, jealous because when I was in school and we went to Delaware Theater Company, we saw the Scottish play. <laughs> oh, yeah. We didn't get to see any of the Tuskegee Airmen. So, you know. Uh, that's that, a good show. It's a good show. It's a good show, but it's a little old. It's yeah. a little, you know, dated for for sixth graders. That that I mean, is true. It's you a know, little big for little sixth little grade. big for yeah. sixth grade. You know, but it's all right. You know, I'm glad kids nowadays have it better off. Uh, Dave, David's jumped on on the mic. Uh, he was busy filming most yeah, of this. So I saw I saw the camera going. Uh, Dave, what, what's your what's your role in the play? I play the role of Abraham Dorsey, which is the older brother to this gentleman right here, and also one of the six cadets that uh, take it upon their, themselves to be one of the civilian part of the civilian pilot training program. How has it been? You know, you're an actor. You take mm-hmm. on different roles and different things. But how's it been? You know, kind of embodying something that has its roots in truth and, and its roots in history. It's definitely an honor, especially once you meet the, the Tuskegee Airmen. It's, it's it's really an honor to know that you're stepping into the footsteps of these gentlemen who are really heroes, who who have led uh, such a wonderful legacy that hasn't been told. And it's sad that it hasn't been. But to know that I'm a part of that legacy to help get it told is really an honor. So, uh, David, you're an actor by profession, yeah. yes. right? Yes. And <coughs> so. From little I know about acting, uh-huh. the things you do and you take on a role is you uh-huh. try to kind of uh, imagine you are actually that human being. That body, you yes. Talk like them, feel like them, walk uh-huh. like them, uh-huh. eat like them. Uh-huh. Uh, what's that like when it's something like? Uh, t- I imagine some roles are harder than others, <laughs> right? <laughs> I can make up also without knowing you too well. I can make up all sorts of characters that might be difficult, uh-huh. more difficult than others. And and what's it like to to try to personify and try to get in the mind of a, of a Tuskegee Airman? I think uh, what, what's most important, and I think a wonderful thing that, that Lay captured is that to understand that these are human beings. We, we all have gifts. We all, we all have things that we want to do, things that we want to accomplish, and that's what these gentlemen did. They had a goal. They were persistent. They, they really wanted to help uh, th- their country, help themselves, uh, really be uh, persistent and really stay focused and goal-oriented in becoming Tuskegee Airmen. So I focused on that definitely, which is something that I think we can all, you know, attest to. But alongside that, there were also clues. In every script that you get, there are clues. There, there are little, little notes. There are things that are de- being told to you. My character says that I'm from Calhoun. <laughs> so now, if I've never been to Calhoun, I have to understand how do the people here talk? What's the culture like? What are some of the traditions? What are some of the beliefs? What are the accents? You know, everyone has an accent. I'm from mm-hmm. New York. There's an accent there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in Delaware, there's an accent. So I have to speak to this gentleman and see, well, well how does he talk? <laughs> I have to hang around him, listen to him, hang around other people that are from that area. How do they sound? What are some of their favorite foods? What are some of, the, some of their favorite clothes? What are some of the things that they do? And the more that you hang around that and you kind of put all of these ingredients into a pot and it becomes this wonderful thing that we call a character. <laughs> yeah. What do, what do you want people, what do you want the audience to take from your character? What I want people to take away from my character is that it, it's important to, to, to love the people that you love and sometimes understand that that love comes in different ways. Um, I don't want aw- to give away too much about um, the specificity of how I care for my brother. But I, I think that in, in looking at the bigger picture of us trying to be Tuskegee Airmen, we all have our own personal journeys and personal things that we're dealing with 
that we can also uh, bring along with us. And those personal journeys and those personal uh, hurdles help to build our strength. And in all of that creation of these characters that we're um, building um, in, in being a character in, in Tuskegee, all of these things should remind us about how strong we all are. Whatever goals we have, we can achieve them. If we just sit down and think about all of the different hurdles that we've had in life and how we achieve them. Great. No, that's great. And if you want to understand how to achieve them, you got to come see Black Angels. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, always good to bring it back to the plug. Well, that's true. Yeah. Sitting here like, that's so deep. And Matt's like, and for you <laughs> to learn you. more and appreciate them. Uh, but no, that's true. The, the play is on right now, right? Yes, it is. And running through the end of the month. Yes, it yes. does. If somebody wants to get tickets, they want to go, where, where should we send them? You can go on the website at www.delawaretheater.org. Or you can go walk into the box office and, and get your ticket. Just slap way. some money on the table and say, "That's it. Give me <laughs> front row center." <laughs> Showtime's Wednesdays through Sundays until October thirtieth. Awesome, awesome. awesome. So we've got what two uh, about two weeks left. Yeah, two you weeks can't left. mess around, or you're gonna miss it. That's right. Come through, bring the family. It's a good family play. They, are you guys bringing this show around the country still? Like, where are you going after this? Well, after this, uh, we're not doing this show again until February. Mm. Um, then we go, we'll go. we be in D.C., and then we're back in New Orleans. So we have a few tour dates uh, coming up. But I have a couple other shows that we're preparing for. As soon as we end here, we're going to rehearse for another play. And then another play. We're opening up my play about uh, Bass Reeves, who was the first black U.S. deputy marshal back in the old Wild West. We're opening that up off-Broadway um, uh, November 26th. Mm. So... I got these guys working. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same crew. For the most part, yeah. We That's have two awesome. other actors who are in Florida right now. But, yeah. Huh. I, I mostly work with the same group because they understand my style. I have a very unique style, the way I direct. <laughs> it's not for everybody. <laughs> so I keep my, my heart, my core group in, and, and mostly everything that I create. And the basketball play about the um, Harlem Wrens, I actually wrote it to some of the ar the actors' personality. So it was a lot easier for me to uh, to write that script because I knew the actors that I wanted to play the mm -hmm. role, so I wrote it around uh, their best talent. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, I think when we look at these untold stories that, that are finally getting light now, whether it be like hidden figures and the story of, you know, what it really took to get astronauts to the moon, mm. um, you know, Red Tails with Tuskegee Airmen. I feel like there's a bit of a gap in our pop culture knowledge of black history between the end of the Civil War and, and the start of the Civil Rights Movement, right? Mm. There's so many things on Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. and Selma and, you know, those things. Mm. But this hundred-year gap, all these stories that have either been suppressed or not told that are coming out now. Mm -hmm. What, in your, in your opinion, any, mm. any of you guys, needs to be done because I'm certain that, that plays like this exist but they're not being elevated right. or, or there are screenplays that exist but they're not being produced. Mm -hmm. what, do, what do we need to do to get these stories told and what, what stories are out there that we just don't even know that we're being deprived of right mm -hmm. now? I, I think that there, def there definitely has to be a, a love for it, a desire for it. I think that there's, um, I think that one of those things, it has to be taught. I know for me, there was always a, a desire to know more, but you can only feed off of whatever is being presented to you. Luckily for us, there's this wonderful thing called the internet. So there's a lot more information out there than there, than there used to be. So once we get, you know, get those juices flowing and get ourselves out there and start using the internet 
in, in a way that um, can help fill that need. Mm -hmm. We can help get more of those stories told. So you're going to tell me right now that the mm -hmm. internet could be used for good things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We could with the with the right mind. We could be <laughs> we could be using the internet not just to spread hateful messages to people all the time. Oh, absolutely. This is the craziest thing I've absolutely. ever heard. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> my whole my whole paradigm on the universe has changed. Um, I, but I completely agree with you because it, it is amazing, right? The uni every piece of, of knowledge mm -hmm. that exists it probably exists on the internet somewhere. Yeah. And it, it is a shame that we don't use it for better things right. than cat videos most <laughs> days. You know what I mean? Like, I enjoy watching a dog doing something silly, but I, I just wish it was like that wasn't the best thing on the internet, that we could right. do, do more good educational work. It's escapism. It's, it, that, that's true. That's true. Sometimes we need it. Yeah. Um, but, no, I, com I completely agree. You know, I, I, think, I think these stories are out there, and it's just, it does take a collective effort. Yeah. Uh, and a willingness to find and then tell them and ele and elevate them mm -hmm. um, and and promote them and that, and you know everything it takes to to take a story that you know has existed mm -hmm. uh, in the Red Tails for eighty mm -hmm. years in in American history mm -hmm. and finally bring it to light in the twenty first century. Mm -hmm. I think adjacent uh, to it is also um, a handing down mm -hmm. of our culture that I think has kind of been missed as the as the, as the years have kind of gone on. Um, I, I was told very little about the Tuskegee Airmen, but at least I was told sure. something about them. Sure. As opposed to the generation behind me who probably wasn't told anything. I think with that handing down, there comes that, once you plant that seed, at least now there's something that needs to be fed, something that needs, needs to be watered. I think in that same vein, too, you know, like I took AP U.S. History and I mm -hmm. learned for a half a day about Black Wall Street right. and the Tulsa mm -hmm. uh, massacre. And... I guarantee you no one in the lower-level history class has learned anything about it at all. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, now we've been working uh, pretty extensively on this project in Mount Olive Cemetery, which is a in, – in the er, – 100 years ago in the city, basically they said if you were black, you couldn't be buried in the city limits. And so they dug all the bodies up, moved them, and dumped them in a cemetery somewhere. And – these are very prominent individuals. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, again, my brief learning of, of Black Wall Street was, oh, there was a great aff affluent black community in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't just one in Tulsa. Yeah. They were in cities many, across many. America, right? And so there's mm -hmm. all these little pockets of history that haven't been told. Mm -hmm. You know, Wilmington had a prominent black community that was destroyed right. willfully right. Mm -hmm. as well. Um, and, and these are the things that I think we've got to get better when we make local curriculums to talk about locally what, what's been lost. Yeah, but the yeah please. Well, I was going to say, I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina, mm -hmm. and um, born and, you know, partially raised there. And I never knew, and it just has come to the light, like you're saying, that there was the only coup in this country, actually, uh, because post, uh, well, during Reconstruction, post-Civil War, uh, the black community started to thrive. And, and um, the newspaper was the largest in the state. And they had many political offices. And so there was a section of the community that wasn't, you know, appreciative of this fact. And they said in this next election, if, you know, this does not happen, there's going to be problems. And they did not win the seats that they wanted. So they t took to the streets with guns and, and shot up the black community mm -hmm. and went into the courthouse, threw bodies into Cape Fear River, which runs through the town. They said it ran red with blood. And one of the orchestrators of this event 
had a, a park named after him. I had my daughter's first birthday party in this park, and we never knew. Like, <laughs> it was never taught in the schools that it had just been buried in. I think Vox uh, recently did a, a, a thing you can find on YouTube about this Wilmington massacre. And all of those, you know, I talked to, like, I, I was fortunate to have great-great-grandmothers. I'm quite sure they kind of knew about it, but nobody talked about it, mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. so these are elements, like you said, of our history that's just been buried that we now have to resurrect because we're, we're, we're kind of living a lie, you know, going to places and celebrating places and monuments mm -hmm. of people that maybe didn't mean a, a particular community any good. And to go to your point about the, uh, the, the Tulsa riots, uh, on a, there's a group called the Gap Band, mm. um, you know, 80s, uh, 90s kind of R&B band. And I never knew that GAPS, G-A-P, was an acronym for the town, for the streets that bordered wow. uh, that until one of them died recently. And they said it, it was their way of honoring the Tulsa riots. So these things need to be more common knowledge. You know? For sure. That is like I totally brought the the mood down a bit there, but you know I mean it's 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 legitimate. Like we yeah. need to talk about this stuff, and and it needs to be a part of like routine education. You know everything I know about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and random facts about Revolutionary War battles. Why do I not know what the black community was doing for a hundred year period between mm -hmm. the end of the Civil War and Martin Luther King mm -hmm. or Rosa Parks? Right, like mm -hmm. it it's just. Right. I, I think um, I, I think um, uh, I guess sort of kind of to answer that question, I do kind of wonder on a, on a bigger uh, page what, um, what what view of America does America want to have? It's true. Um, and and in answering that, you know what what stories are going to be told, and you know what, from what skew, from what point of view are we going to tell it, and why? I think it's very important. Like going back to um, you celebrating your daughter's uh, birthday in this. <laughs> In, in this park that was um, that was dedicated to someone who did not have our best interests at heart, I think that's very telling. Mm -hmm. So um, when we step back and we say, okay, America, this is us, and this is how we're going to be represented by our infrastructures, by the naming of our, of our parks and the naming of our landmarks, how do we want to be seen and how do we want that history to be attached to us? Not only to us, because America doesn't only see itself, it's seen by other countries. Mm -hmm. So other countries, I'm pretty sure, have their own opinions as to what's going on and how we're moving. So how do we want to move and how do we want to be seen? Yeah, I mean, why is it um, when I'm paying for something with a $20 bill, I've, I'm passing the face of a man who killed <laughs> countless Native Americans <laughs> and uh, instead of a woman who freed right. countless Absolutely. black right. men and women from slavery, right? Absolutely. How, how many years are we fighting to get Harriet Tubman on a bill? Or <laughs> I know, it's crazy. It's, it's, so uh, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, but again, like you said, it's, it's the institutions and how do you break them down? Yeah. And I think in the storytelling, too, you know, how do you elevate writers and producers and directors who are working to tell these stories and give them the platforms? You know, as uh, a, a white male, you know, my privilege is certainly understood, but I can't tell those stories effectively because it's not a part of my history and my culture. And, and mm -hmm. it should be told by somebody who it is a part of their history and culture. And I think that's where the opportunities have to be created and mm -hmm. exist. Mm -hmm. So those those things exist. You know, mm -hmm. we talk about it in the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. you, there's, what, two black head coaches right now, right. three? Right. You know, there are rules put in place to stop this exclusionary hiring practices and get create those opportunities. I'd love to see something done like that in the arts mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. get these stories told more. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't know whether it's 
grants or funds or or, or festivals devoted to these mm-hmm. this kind of storytelling. But right. something's got to be done so we can hear great. I, I love these stories. Yeah, like I love learning about stuff that is insane I never knew about. Right, and I think there are probably more. Anyway, that's because mine. because it's American history, right? right. Exactly. And that's the thing we are. I think we have to collectively understand. It's not right. a separate history. We're all Americans. I think right. um, our ancestors who are on this land would say we're just Americans. Yeah. You know and. So they don't. Not nobody's looking for that separation or special mm-hmm. treatment. Just inclusion in regular American history. Nobody likes a puzzle that only has forty percent of the pieces. <laughs> right. You know what right. I mean? Right. Like that puzzle doesn't look right. <laughs> yeah. When exactly. you when you put it together, why am I missing the whole left edge? <laughs> <laughs> right. This doesn't this exactly. doesn't work. Exactly. Where is it? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and it's just crazy that some dudes got it in a box, like right. hidden away somewhere. Right. They know about it, but they won't let you have it. It's right. that's right. crazy. And I think right. I think the other part of that statement is that many of us don't even know that there's an edge missing. It's true. Right. So when you look at curriculum and you understand understand that there's people who graduate with a you know degree in history but yet they wouldn't know anything about the thing that we're talking about in Lay's play mm-hmm. that that's that becomes problematic because that is a part of the grander picture or the part of the puzzle that you didn't know was missing so how do we get um i guess in 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 charge of boards or get on the board to say you know this needs to be a part of the curriculum too and this is why. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, look at your local school district, school board elections. And if there's an opening and you, you are have questions about why things aren't being taught, run. <laughs> you know, right. run for right. run for a seat. I always tell like right. the the best person to like run for office is a person who isn't sure they should. Because <laughs> they're, they're, they're legitimately going to wind up doing it for the right reason if they right. do. And so if you've never thought about it, think about it. Because right. you probably would come in with some good ideas. I, to, to further that point, not just the stuff that isn't being taught versus what is. What is being taught often is a complete and total distortion of reality. Right. Right? Like, you know, states' rights is the way so often the Civil War is framed. And it's like... Yeah, states' rights to own literal human beings. Like right. that's that's the right. That was the one right. It wasn't the the right to declare the state color purple. Right. <laughs> right. It wasn't right. the right to make the state tree the pine tree. Mm-hmm. No, no. It was to literally own humans. Right. Yep. And the federal government is not going to bother you. Mm-hmm. So right, right. You, you emphasize <laughs> yeah. its states' rights, and yeah, the federal government is going to turn a blind eye. Mm-hmm. That's just uh, support yeah. and encourage. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 For I sure. I think we have to get back to, to brass tacks of, of what this is all about. I don't know if, if, if laws are just laws and because they're a law that automatically makes them uh, moral, we have to go back to square one. You know, I grew up in, in Europe and um, and what makes America unique is all of us. Right. You know, it's the, the flavor, I always say, rather than a melting pot, I more like to say gumbo because <laughs> nothing loses its consistency, right. right? You know, the sausage is still the sausage, <laughs> the chicken is still the chicken, but everything contributes to the flavor. So right. that's what America is, right? You can put okra in nothing but gumbo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's exactly, true. exactly. That's true. As someone who loves a good gumbo, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to get me to eat okra any other time. Yeah, it is, you know what I mean? But you know what? That's that's American society because yep, that's right. the way, you know, there's a lot right. of things we yep. may not like, yep. but as a society we've tolerated yep. and yeah. the gum the okra doesn't melt you actually are seeing it on your spoon that's as right. you're putting it in your mouth that's right. that's and right. you're accepting it right so it's just that's the beauty of it and that's that's what makes this country unique this experiment that is america that it continues to evolve and that's the next evolution i think for us to understand all of our value and nobody's trying to take a lead over anybody we're all here to contribute to this great experiment and uh 
And the acceptance is the part, you know? For sure. And it's stories like this, mm -hmm. to bring it back yeah. to Black Angels, mm -hmm. that are, are part of that. And so if you want to learn more about the Tuskegee Airmen, if you want to feel more deeply about untold parts of our history or little told parts of our history, yeah. uh, this is definitely something that you want to come and yeah. see. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, with that, we, we've, we've been going about 45 minutes, so <laughs> I don't want to hold you guys any longer. I can go on so many more <laughs> rants awesome, if we want, awesome, but, I won't, but I won't do that to you. Is there anything else you guys want to add before we wrap it up? Um, uh, no, just come out and, and see the show. Two more weeks here, and uh, you'll truly enjoy this journey with these men. Fantastic. Well, Leon, David, Thaddeus. Thank you guys for coming in. Thank uh, you. Thanks for Thank having you. us, man. Thank you. Yeah, if you want to see the show, it is Black Angels over Tuskegee. And you can find it on uh, all of the platforms that Leon created. And I'm going to let him say those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more men if you want to buy tickets. You can find them on <laughs> www.delawaretheater.org. Yes, yes, Perfect. And, and you've only got October 30th. Until October 30th. Get your tickets. Wednesday matinees at 2 p.m. All the other shows are at 7 p.m. Saturday nights are at 8 p.m. Wednesday through Sundays. Make sure you come out. Plus, as a bonus, the actors come out in the lobby after the show to, to meet and greet all the audience and take photos and mm -hmm. just talk to you. So, mm -hmm. As an added plus, you get to meet the actors. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thanks again, guys. And, uh, yeah, Black Angels over Tuskegee. Go check it out.